0: Love Talk Radio.
1: by Deep Fried Draft. My name is Brian Bosards. Uh this is our weekly podcast uh for the, if this is your first time listening our weekly podcast uh where we talk mostly uh our topics range from the NFL draft, but lately we've been talking about NFL college football. It's always going to be pretty much football related um each and every week. Uh waiting now on our guest today uh, from WWL in New Orleans, Mike Detillier going to join us to talk about the Saints. Uh this um they're in their upcoming season, and we're also going to talk a little bit about uh, lSU. We might dabble in NFL drafts as well uh time permitting. Um, you can also go back and listen to our old, older podcasts. We've talked many ranges of topics uh recently we've talked to uh talked to an agent recently, uh, Austin Atkinson's about Austin Atkinson about the upcoming AAF and xFL. Uh, last week we talked to Draft Countdowns. Uh, Scott Wright talked about all things uh, draft and Notre Dame coming up this season. Um, many other things we've delved into today. Like I said, we're gonna we're gonna get into the Saints and LSU with Mike Dutillier. Uh Hopefully that'll go on in a few minutes. Um, you can also, like I said, all the uh, all the past episodes are archived at blogtalkradio.com slash Um You can find all of my work either at Twitter, follow me at, at deepfrieddraft, and uh, you can also uh, go to deepfrieddraft.com where we have all the uh, past episodes archived there as well. Follow me on YouTube. The episodes will eventually all be up on there as well, and much more. And now let's bring in our guest. He is college and pro football analyst for WWL 870 in New Orleans, and he's the writer of the annual draft guide, the M&D NFL draft report. He is Mike Dettelier. Mike, I can't thank you enough for coming on with me today. My
0: pleasure. Thank you for having me on.
1: Mike, uh, let's get right into it. Training camps uh, training camps are riling up, should be in full pads by now. Uh, so tell me, what's uh, give me the – What's the main thing that's been happening down there at Saints camp?
0: It's been hot. <laughs> I mean, that, that's, that's the biggest story. I mean, it's been brutally hot uh, the last four days. So, uh, you know, but, um, you know, I think what sticks out at 39 years old to watch Drew Brees still throw the football, I mean, it's marvelous. Um, to see his precision – and his accuracy skills uh, at that age. Uh, Alvin Kamara is the wow factor. Um, uh, There is no other word to kind of say it. When he catches the football or he's out in the flat, just to see him, his open field running skills has just been tremendous. Uh, Defensively, I think that's probably been the biggest story. The defense has had some really strong days early on, and you see the um, improvement that the Saints have made at both linebacker and in the secondary. And so that – I think that, to me, probably sticks out the most in that their aggressiveness to the football, how well their safety uh, – the three of them, Kurt Coleman, Von Bale, Marcus Williams, have played certainly more Sean Lattimore. Um, the linebacker play with DeMario Davis, um, a healthy Alex Anzalone. Hopefully that will continue. And they've been able to get some heat on the quarterback. Um, And one guy who's really, I thought, had a pretty strong camp early on is the third-round pick of a year ago, Trey Hendrickson. Uh, Trey being used out on the edge and also inside in that NASCAR package they have. Uh, I, I think Trey's really had a really strong camp so far. So um, those have been the things that have stuck out to me, you know, in the early days.
1: Yeah, I wrote the other day uh, about Alex Anzalone, and I, I said I thought if he stayed healthy, I think he's a game, a potential game changer for their defense. But his health has been his uh, issue his entire playing career.
0: Yeah, no, no question about it. You go back to his days at Florida – Last year, he won a starting berth at the weak side linebacker position. Uh, He got knocked out early with the uh, shoulder arm injury. And, and again, it's it's something that I hate to say it. Almost when a guy starts to have those injuries, they start to mount up. It's one after the other after the other. And we saw it with Teron Armstead for years. Uh, Teron, as good as he's been, has never played 16 games in the NFL. It's the first time he told us yesterday is the first time he's actually got to work out in the off season, uh, not rehabbing an injury, just working out, trying to uh, get himself to be in the best shape. And he went to see doctors not only in America, but also across the uh, world to try to help himself, uh, uh, keep himself healthy. But you're right about Angeloni. I think he's a very talented linebacker. And the Saints use a lot of nickel coverage, which is a lot of three-safety alignments. So a linebacker's got to come out, got to match up downfield. And you can see that they've used uh, Anzalone and Demario Davis as the two linebackers that would stay on the field in those type packages.
1: Right. You talked about Drew Brees and how he's still just so great and playing at such a high level at 39 years old. How much longer do you think we're going to get to see him in the Superdome? I think he's got, including this year, I I think
0: probably two or three more years that he plays at a high level. Now, again, you can't predict injuries. Um, Does he have the arm strength that he had 10 years ago? You know, probably not, but you see the accuracy skills. And, and, you know, this game is played not by the strength of your arm, but the strength between your ears. And his pinpoint passing is just at a real, real high level still today. And we see it. We've seen it over the last couple of days, him and his rapport with rookie receiver, uh, Traquan Smith, Uh, you know, and yesterday in particular, he targeted Traquan a number of different times during the practice sessions, the padded sessions. so, you could see that you know he builds that rapport up with a wide out very quickly we've seen it certainly with Michael Thomas with Ted Ginn Jr and you know in the past if it's been Marcus Colston or Devery Henderson or Lance Moore uh those type guys so and he, and he's got it also here with Ben Watson uh, another veteran he's worked with so um it's just remarkable and and i think you take it for granted you don't know you don't know, appreciate sometimes what you got until you lose it. And that's going to be what's going to happen with this franchise. You know, everybody, you know, man, I hear him talk about how good Taysom Hill is as a player. Taysom Hill's a tremendous special teams player, but he's erratic throwing the football as a quarterback.
1: Mm-hmm. That's, that's the reason why he wasn't
0: selected a couple years ago when he came out. And he's erratic in practice. So why should you think that all of a sudden, that switch is going to get flipped, and come game time, he's going to be a starter-type quarterback in this league. You're kidding yourself if you believe that. And I think he's going to be a good number two quarterback in this league, and he's a different guy than Drew Brees. But when you watch both those guys throw the ball, you, you understand who's the starter and who's the career backup special teams guy.
1: Right, not to mention Taysom He was like 37 years old already. But uh, let's uh, – Well, tell me, he's not, tell not that the... old, but
0: he's, it's, it's almost <laughs> like dog years uh, with, with, with Taysom. Uh, but, boy, I tell you what, he, he is one heck of a special teams guy, and uh, he, he's certainly going to make a difference for this football team on special teams. And I think for preseason, a lot of times guys shine. Uh, because, you know, Taysom, I think, is the type of guy, and because I saw him at BYU a lot, primary man was covered. He would take off running with the downfield. He's a tremendous athlete out in the open field. The problem has been the fact he's never finished a season at BYU. Because of that style of play, you get hit a lot. And Mm -hmm. I want to see, does he have a lot of patience or more patience staying in the pocket throwing the football, because that is the NFL. Uh, today, it it you know it's a huge part of the game. So, you know, but I'm sure you listen. Everybody's looking for a story, and everybody's looking for something they can put a little pin on and say, "I was right about that." Taysom Hill. Look how good he is. Uh, just watch him in practice, and you understand why uh, the the Packers kind of cut him loose, and why he wasn't drafted. I, again, I think he's a he'll develop into a number two quarterback in the NFL. Wayne's going to make an impact on his own special teams, man, he just levels guys uh, when he's running downfield to make a play.
1: Mike, uh, what was the vibe like after the division round loss? And compare that to the vibe that's out there today.
0: Man, um, watching Stephon Diggs cross the end zone and – Realizing there was no penalty on that play, my first thought is I got four hours of sports talk to take these people off the ledge. Um, it, <laughs> having grown up and listening and watching the Saints, I was a little kid when they started, but it's the most devastating loss in Saints history. Uh, you know, some people want to point to the 2011 game. Uh, in San Francisco. And, that, and that, I thought that was the best Saints team I've ever seen in 2011. And, and, and it ended crazy because they had four lead changes in two and a half minutes of play. Uh, it was a ping pong game. But it didn't end in a walk-off. That game ended in a walk-off. And Drew Brees was 39 years old. That That's the big difference. You, you thought, you know, even if you lost that game, hey, we got a shot you know, somewhere down in the near future. And you just never know when you're going to get that chance again. Uh, I think one of the things Sean has tried to do is try to jump that emotional ditch with this football team. And a lot of, you know, I got people say, oh, and listen, they got to get over that. You know, listen, we all get over things in our lives, really. And then you listen to them talk and they tell you about a former girlfriend or a wife or how they lost a job or or things that, you know, happened to them bad. They, they got over that. So you understand how difficult it is to get over a game like what happened in Minnesota. And I think it did affect the Falcons last year uh, for a good portion of the early part of the season. And so – I think Sean's tried to fight that. I I do think it's better with a younger team than an older one. Uh, I just think, you know, maybe a younger generation, what happens bad, they get over it quicker than somebody a little older. And so I, I think he's tried to give that positive aspect about how good this football team is. And in the past, he's always had that mantra of prove them wrong, prove the critics wrong. This year, you know, his mantra is, prove them right. Everybody's picking you to be a playoff team and a Super Bowl-type contender. Prove them right. So he's flipped the script real quickly on them uh, at this particular stage. But you can see there's a lot of positive energy here. They have gotten over that for the most part. Where it may show up again, and we all know it's going to happen late in the game, you know, TV is going to flash to that play. And it flashes in the back of your mind. Let's not let that happen again. So, uh, similar to Atlanta blowing the lead late in the fourth quarter to New England, you it's more of a mental thing than a physical thing. And so, I think that's the biggest hurdle for this franchise uh, this year. Certainly, you, you want to stay healthy, but you've got no control over that. I think you can control your emotional energy. And I think that's what they're trying to do early on. But where I think it may show up is you got a lead late in the game and a team sort of driving, and <laughs> you know it. You know, it's going to be brought up. And you know one thing, if you watch it on TV, you're going to see it. They're going to show that play over and over and over again. Uh, but I think Marcus Williams has gotten over it. He's one heck of a football player, I've got to be honest with you. Uh, you can see with him that he took that pretty hard. He just wants to get back on the field, and that's the one of the things in football when it ends, the finality of it. There is no next week, or well, in a month I'll get it back, or in three months I'll get it back. This has been since January. Here we we're going to be in in August real soon, and you haven't got back on the field yet for a game. That's what. Lengthens this out For so, so long
1: All right, last thing on the Saints Right quick Uh, You're a draft guy, I'm a draft guy What did you think, uh, did you think they paid too much To move up to get Marcus Davenport And was that the right move for the Saints
0: Well, it was bold, it was risky And it was aggressive But this football team knew where they had to get better They gave up a lot uh, To get Marcus Um, But they knew that they weren't going to get a player like Davenport at that edge pass rushing position uh, where they picked. And to be honest, um, I told this to Coach Ogeron when he took the job at LSU. You'll find you the next star quarterback before you find you the next star edge pass rusher. He laughed about it at the time. And I was talking to him a couple of weeks back, he said, Mike, you know, you might be right about that. I mean, you know, 707 has changed the world. And you look at Marcus, where he was five years ago, he was a wide receiver. You know, and he grew out of that position. So they paid a, a really high price uh, to get him. And, that's, and I think you can almost hear in his tone, he sort of feels the pressure of it. And put it to you this way he ain't never played at UT San Antonio a guy like Teron Armstead and Ryan Ramchak. And, and he's going through some lessons and some growing pains here. But I think all, everybody sort of knew that. Uh, one of the things I got to talk to Ryan Nielsen, we did a camp uh, here at Nichols State, the offensive, defensive lineman camp. And, and he brought this up to me. He said, you know, Mike, uh, you know, people bring up about his athleticism and his size, size potential and his speed and his quickness and his leverage skills. And I'd like to see him get a little bit stronger in the lower body. But he said, you know, the one thing that jumps out at me is his intelligence and his mental toughness. And he said one of the things I've tried to get across to him is you might go in a game and you might be zero for 18. You know, that, that offensive lineman, you know, 18 rushes, you, you're not getting a lot of pressure or any. And the frustration of that for a college player, because you've always been so much better than your competition. In the NFL, it's different. You got to get over that and make sure that on that 19th play, maybe you make the difference. And he said, you know, he gets it. He said he's really smart. He gets it and he understands, you know, what he's got to do to get better. But he said, even more, I think he understands the, the point of he's not always going to get, a double or a home run or even a hit, but it's the ability to kind of set up your guy and eventually make that big play that's going to be a game changer. I think a lot of times that is so frustrating to an edge player today that you don't, you know, when you were so dominant maybe in high school and college, and it doesn't come that quickly in the NFL. And I think they're trying to give – Market some lessons and practice to understand that it's not going to be that easy in the pros. And going up each day against Ramchak and Carolina Homestead, you can get the lesson real quick in, in what it is to face NFL competition.
1: All right, Mike, let's move up uh 10 a little bit, about an hour, and talk about LSU. Uh, I think the question probably on everybody's mind is who's going to be the start quarterback uh, when they face the U? Well, it should. In that first game. He should.
0: That, that shouldn't even be a question. Uh, I mean, it's going to be Joe Burrow. You didn't bring him here to hold a clipboard and drink Gatorade. I mean, you, you brought him here to be the starting quarterback. If you if you thought you had the guy for 2018, why did you bring in Joe to begin with? You brought him here to be the starter. And barring an injury, Joe Burrow is going to be the starter against Miami and Florida. I mean, that's no ifs, ands, buts, and maybes. That's going to happen. He's going to be the guy. Um, I think what they like in him, coach's son, understands this game at a high level. His accuracy skills in the short intermediate part of the game, and his work ethic. You know, you know, instead of spending an hour in the film room watching film, he's spending three hours. He's organizing the receivers to work with him. You know, on his own. Uh, that's leadership and it has been a sinkhole for lsu no question about it um at the quarterback position and Danny Etling was solid and but he threw but two passes either it was real short or real long the intermediate stuff he didn't throw well they didn't put it in the game plan because he didn't throw it well that part is where joe excels and i think you're going to see an offense from LSU you've never seen before and the fact that they're going to play a lot of three, four wide receiver sets, a lot of flexed out tight end positions with two tight ends. So you're going to see a bit of a different look, and for the first time in my lifetime, I can almost say, they don't have a legitimate number one back. You know, they don't have one returning uh, to the lineup. There, There is no Kevin Falk or Cecil Collins or – you know, Leonard Fournette or Darius Geis, they don't have that type of guy. And so it's going to be Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, I think, early on, who's, you know, five foot seven, about 190 pounds. I think Chris Curry's going to see a lot of playing time. So I got no doubt Joe Burrow is the straw that turns the drink here. And I think he'll do a good job. How quickly it will all come together, I have no idea. Uh, Because, again, he spent his spring at Ohio State. And I think that's going to be the big question mark. How quickly will it jive for for Joe Burrow? Because front seven defensively, this football team has the most talent and the most depth I've seen in the past seven or eight years along their defensive line and linebacking core. Uh, Because they are awfully thin. They've been awfully thin the last couple years, Along the defensive line and linebacking position, they've got it now, <laughs> and they've got it big time. They've got some talent and they've got some depth. And last year they did just whittle down. Two years ago, and I got to talk to Dave Miranda. Dave was at the Saints camp a couple uh, for a couple of days, and Dave told me, you know, 2016 we had more scholarship kickers than we had scholarship linebackers. So he said, you know, you know, I mean, he's not pointing a finger at anybody, but he, you know. As he said, you know, it, you know, you dwindling numbers, and that's something O brought up to me the day after he took the job. That like we we gotta we gotta get better up front. We we gotta be able to <laughs> really go after people to strengthen our offensive, defensive line, linebacking core, and that's the only way we'll be able to go toe to toe with the Alabamas and Floridas and Georgias and you know. Uh, um, Texas A&Ms of the world, we've got to be able to strengthen that. We just don't have numbers there. And that's where he has spent a good portion of the last two recruiting seasons trying to strengthen up uh, both along the offensive, defensive line, and also at linebacker. Uh, they got some talent there, and, man, they can run. And so it'll be interesting to see because eventually you got to score. You can't keep your defense on the field forever. And And the other flip side of it is, it's been every bit as bad at the place kicking position as it's been at quarterback. I mean, that's been a roller coaster ride. It's been unbelievable uh, that this football team has not been able to get consistency at place kicking. You can't miss, you know, 25 yard and, and smaller field goals. And we saw it in the final game against Notre Dame. Come on, you got to have a kicker that can kick that. You're on scholarship and um, kicking is a lot like golf. It's a lot between the ears. Yeah, you got to be talented, but you got, it's a lot of mental toughness, too. And it'll be interesting this year with a full-time special teams coach. Can Cole Tracy be that guy? And one thing I've banged the drum about from the last Miles days and certainly the last two years, this football team, has been really good when they've been excellent on special teams. You look at the top LSU teams, they had a really good kicker, a really good punter, a really good return man. You can't tell me with the athletes they're recruiting that they shouldn't be a top 15-type team in the return business, in punt kick returns. And yet that has been another roll of the dice on this team. And that that can't be... You can't shiga code that poor DJ last year. He did it by default and he gave, and he was like Dave Kingman. People may remember Dave Kingman as a baseball player in the seventies, early eighties. Dave was either a home run or a strikeout. And that's what DJ was.
1: (laughs) Either he hit a home
0: run or he struck out. He was feeling punts at the four yard line, uh, or he changed the game like he did against Auburn uh, with a punt return for a score. They wanted Dante to do it, but Dante Jackson was not secure uh, catching the ball on punts. And so they've got to get that at a high level. And, again, the athletes at LSU recruits every year. That should not be in question. When you think about the impact of an Odell Beckham and what he was able to do on this football team years ago, and Tyron Matthews, what he was able to do on this football team uh, in the return game, I'm not talking about maybe returning it to that level. But having good returners each year, that should not be in question at LSU. It has been over the last five or six years. So I think special teams, and, and my thing is that the SEC media day, someone asked Oswald about it. Someone asked that about it because I've asked him in private. Someone asked him, and well, let him talk about it. And yet you hear silence. Almost as though that part of the game they don't want to even bring up. But it, it is such a huge part uh, when you're maybe going to – not maybe, you're going to have some struggles on offense with the young quarterback, and you don't have a dominant runner that you need to – you can't play to a draw on special teams. You've got to win that portion of the game. So I think it comes down to this with LSU. It comes down to how quickly Joe Burrow can assimilate himself in this offense. Uh, secondly, the place-kicking position has got to be solved by cold tracing. And thirdly, they've got to win in the punt kick return game and the coverage part of the game. Uh, That should not even be a question. And a lot of times it's not about talent, but it's finding the right guys to put out on the field uh, that, that can cover and also be the top return people.
1: Mike, I can't leave this podcast without uh, asking you about uh, the 2019 NFL Draft because I know you do your draft guide. Uh, yep. How far are you into your prep?
0: Um, pretty far. <laughs> uh, I'll
1: be honest with you. Uh, you know,
0: it, it's a great it's a great year for defensive linemen, especially a defensive tackle. Again, I, I bring that up because of the fact that there aren't a lot of top edge rushers anymore. Yeah. But you look at, you know, Ed Oliver, because he, he, he's, he's my highest-rated player on the board right now, defensive tackle from Houston. And he's a tremendous, tremendous prospect. Uh, you've seen Rashawn Gary at Michigan, uh, Raekwon at, at University of Alabama. But I think the guy that ended up being the first overall pick is going to be Drew Locke, uh, the quarterback from Missouri. Um, I work with five former quarterbacks each week. And the one thing they're right about, quarterbacking trumps everything. And um, I've been a demanding passing academy, almost, well, basically from day one. And for the last thirteen years, we had Thursdays where the college quarterbacks, the counselors, go out there and throw the ball. And Drew Locke put on a performance. I was really shocked at at how accurate he was throwing the ball, and he's got a rifle. Um. I thought Matt Stafford, when he was here, uh, had the best showing I'd ever seen throwing the football. And we're talking about he's throwing the football to receivers that he's never been on the field with. These are receivers from LSU and Tulane and Southeastern and Nickel State. These aren't guys that he's bringing in from his school. And Drew Locke, I thought I would see more of the Josh Allen, who I saw a year ago, Patrick Mahomes, who I saw a couple of years back, the fireball thrower and yet he was real accurate throwing the football. So I think it's really top-heavy with a lot of good defensive tackles. Um, I think Greedy Williams, Devin White from LSU at cornerback and middle linebacker are are, are really top players too. But I'm interested in the development of Drew Locke at Missouri because he had such an outstanding season a year ago. And now with a new offensive coordinator with Derek Doolick, and how that works out for Missouri. And they didn't give Derek Dooley the the keys to the um, uh, the Aston Morton here. He can't wreck it. And so I think early on, it's maybe as good a defensive tackle crop as I've seen in the last four or five years. I mean, it's really strong there. And, again, Ed Oliver would be my top-rated guy. But if you're asking who I think is going to be the top pick, I think it's Drew Locke from
1: Missouri. Give me one player that maybe not a whole lot of people know about that they will by the time the draft gets here in April.
0: You know what? I think it will probably end up being a quarterback that right now we haven't really focused on. I think that there's always one of those type guys that emerges every year. Um, I could say Herbert from Oregon, but I think people have seen him play a lot. Maybe not in down in the deep south, but I think he's a guy with a tremendous, tremendous amount of talent at Oregon. He's a tall drink of water. He's got a live arm, and physically he's grown to that big body. I think the world of him as a player, and I think he could be a guy that could end up, being a lot better than a lot of people kinda are giving him credit for today. Just because, you know, where he's playing, you're not seeing him a, a tremendous amount unless you're out on the pack you know, you're in the pack twelve sort of network deal. You gotta stay up late at night to watch Herbert play and throw the football. So I, I would say Him only because I think most people like us who keep up with the draft, we know about him, but a lot of people really may not. The other guy, too, is DK Metcalf Uh, from Ole Miss. You know, because A.J. Brown has gotten so much ink, I think a lot of people have not, you know, given him the props that he should get as a receiver, and he is a huge man receiver who can get down, feel, and fly uh, with the football. And so <clears throat> he's another guy uh, with just a world of talent and, and certainly somebody who I think could emerge big time. And, and if you watching watching Wisconsin, you may be watching three first round pick offensive linemen play. I mean, that that's, that's how talented they are up front across their offensive line. So, but right now, I'll go with Herbert. Who, you know, he's not a household name, but I think by the end of the season he will be. I think Justin Herbert will be.
1: Yeah, I, I really, uh, I really think so too. And I can't tell you, Mike, and uh, you probably made the same mistake I did. You first saw his name, you wanted to say Hey bear, didn't you? Because I know, <laughs>
0: no, listen, I know he, he I came, he, he came to the Manning camp a year ago. So you know, as soon as I saw he was up for people we could interview. I went up to him, and we started talking. And very similar to Bobby, you know, he was a he loved basketball more than football. And then kind of grew into that big body, had a big growth spurt, and that sort of thing. And I asked him, how many times do people bring up the Seinfeld episode about a. Bear and Herbert? And he said, more than you really believe. You know, and he said, you know, I can tell when it plays, you know, locally because people say, oh, did you hear the, the Herbert A.B.A. thing? And so, um, you know, he's uh, he, he went along with it really, really well. We did a little uh, piece with, you know, him talking to to Bobby about, you know, i it's Herbert h e r p e r t you know. And so he can't talk like Bobby. He actually, I can understand him. He's you know, a lot better than Bobby. So we grew up. We grew up in the same deck of the woods, man. Because uh, it's a crazy thing with him and I and Ed. Uh, we all within a year of one another and uh, growing up here on the bayou, so it's uh, been a crazy ride for all of us.
1: Mike, uh, this has been great. Uh, tell everybody where they can find your work.
0: Oh, sanctuaryport.com, Too, um, I'm on radio stations across the country, so it's easy. You hear the voice, you know
1: where I'm from. <laughs> Mike, I, I can't, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your uh, Sunday to be with me here uh, and talk, talk football, talk Saints. Uh, it's, it's been great.
0: Thanks a lot. Anytime, I appreciate it. Thank you. All
1: right. Thanks a lot. That was Mike Detillier, uh, analyst for WWL eight seventy New Orleans. Like he said, uh, you can find his work uh, pretty much everywhere. You can follow him on Twitter at uh, Mike Detillier. That's Mike D E T I L L I E R. Um, just it was great. Uh it's so knowledgeable about the Saints, so knowledgeable about LSU. He knows knows his draft stuff. Uh give him a follow. And uh like I said, it's that it was just a very fun, very fun episode. Could have talked for another hour, uh, I think. So uh that's gonna do it for today's episode of the Cheat Mail. As always, follow me on Twitter at Deep Fried Draft, uh deepfrieddraft.com. Uh download this episode on iTunes. Uh, Stitcher, or you can also go to com slash draft. All the episodes will be archived there. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, until next time.